Section 64 of Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Greg Giordano. Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. An Authentic Record of Remarkable Cases by John B. Lewis and Charles C. Bumbow. Section 64. Homicide. Part 41. A French Wife Destroyer. An Austrian Triple Wife Murder. A Sensational Poisoning Case in Prussia. A French Wife Destroyer. An investigation at Versailles of charges against a farmer named Le Comte for repeatedly attempting the life of his wife for assurance money developed a history of crime with a strange ending. The Comte, who lived at Orgevel, was a man about thirty-six years old and of sinister aspect. Over his peasant blouse he wore an overcoat, according to the usual custom of farmers, and a colored handkerchief. Madame Le Comte was a few years younger than her exemplary lord and master, whose murderous intents she successfully thwarted so that she was able to appear against him. The details of the case threw some interesting lights on French peasant life. The Comte had a farm which brought him in about 31,000 francs, or 1,240 pounds a year. His first wife had a good dowry, but after her death, the Comte neglected his affairs, and in a few years was in serious difficulties. The Comte was introduced to Mademoiselle Chavon, from Paris, who was one of those demoiselles avec dash mentioned periodically in marriage advertisements in the papers. Mademoiselle Chavon had a dot of nearly five hundred pounds, which, although small, would enable the Comte to tide over temporary difficulties. The marriage took place in due course, and shortly afterwards the Comte insured the life of his wife and two companies for sums amounting altogether to about fifteen hundred pounds. Then he set to work to emulate the Borgias. He began by dropping small doses of arsenic into his wife's tea. But that lady, without having precisely a cast-iron interior, was evidently of robust constitution, for the poison took no effect upon her. Madame Le Comte, in the meantime, had her suspicions, yet strange to say, she communicated them to nobody, but watched and waited. Her husband next dosed her soup, but bungled over the operation, inasmuch as he persisted in serving it at dinner, which was altogether contrary to his usual custom. Accordingly, Madame Le Comte asked her charming partner to partake of some of the delicacy himself, but he refused plumply, saying that he had already taken his portion. The woman thereupon boldly accused her husband of sinister intentions, but as he protested against her want of confidence, she still remained silent and kept her secret to herself. The Comte now tried another plan of demolishing his better half. When they were driving home in the dark one night from Poissy, the fellow endeavored to frighten his wife by telling her that the road was infested by footpads, and that he had once been attacked himself. Suddenly the lantern of the vehicle was put out, and Madame Le Comte, suspecting something, felt in her husband's big coat pocket, in which he usually kept his revolver, 
and found to her horror that the weapon had been removed therefrom. "'Give me your hand,' she said. "'I'm afraid.' And for ten minutes she grasped her husband's left hand, his right being devoted to directing the horse. Without warning, however, he threw down the reins and fired twice at his companion. She fell back in the carriage, and being but slightly wounded, pretended to be dead, feeling that if she stirred, she would be killed outright, as there were still three bullets in the revolver. The Comte whipped up his horse, and drove up to the mayor's office at Orgeval, where he recounted that his wife had been shot dead by footpads. He was disagreeably surprised to find her still alive, so she was taken home, and a squad of gendarmes was sent out to scour the countryside for the fictitious robbers. While his wife was ill, Le Comte renewed his experiments with the arsenic a third time, and was seen by a servant, not, however, before Madame Le Comte had taken the dose. The poor woman, what with her wounds and the poison, was at death's door, but, wonderful to relate, again recovered. Le Comte was arrested, but denied his guilt in the feeblest manner. He accused the servants of the attempts to poison Madame Le Comte, and in court could offer no other defense. His victim was questioned as to her extraordinary patience and reticence respecting the repeated efforts made by the prisoner at the bar to get rid of her, and this most amazing of stepmothers answered that she adored Le Comte's little boy, the child of the rascal's first marriage, and could not bring herself to accuse the father. An Austrian Triple Wife Murder A case of homicide with intent to defraud life insurance companies is reported from Austria, which reveals an unusual degree of enormity in crime of this character. A shoemaker of Graz, named Zotter, who was born at Folling in 1839, married his first wife, a widow, in 1871. At this period he established a matrimonial and real estate agency. He effected an insurance on the life of his wife in the Annas of Vienna, to the amount of 1,000 florins. She died in 1875, and the company paid the claim on proof of loss, cause of death alleged, and the certificate being typhoid fever. Soon afterward, Zadar married another widow, the proprietor of a coffee house, whom he had also insured in the Annas for 1,000 florins. The twain removed to the village of Gratwein, where they opened a beer saloon. Ten days after marriage, the second wife died, and the cause assigned was some affection of the lungs. There being no suspicion of foul play, the Giannis promptly paid the amount of the policy. This was squandered in riotous living in a short time, and on the 6th of February, 1878, he again married a widow, Mary Shower, the possessor of 750 florins. Soon after this third marriage, he effected upon his new wife an insurance for 1,000 florins in the same company, the Giannis. On the 1st of April, 1878, the only daughter of his wife died. The girl had 524 florins of her own, which her mother, as a natural heir, took possession of. About this time, it was anonymously whispered to the officers of the Giannis that Zotter had murdered his first two wives, and also his stepdaughter, in order to obtain the amounts of the policies on the former, and the view to securing, by additional crime, the inheritance left by the latter. On investigation, however, there is not evidence sufficiently strong to justify prosecution 
and further effort was suspended. Meanwhile, Zotter allowed the policy in the Yannis to lapse for want of payment, and took out a policy in another company, the Vaterlandeschein of Elberfeld, for 1,500 florins. Immediately afterward, the wife died, and the evidence this time was so strong against the monster, who had become emboldened by success, that escape from retributive justice was impossible, and prompt conviction was followed by sentence to be immediately hanged. A Sensational Poisoning Case in Prussia A trial in the Assize Court at Prenzlau in November 1895, which excited widespread interest in Germany, ended in the conviction and sentence of the parties implicated. These were a tradesman named Hermann Springsteen and his sister, Auguste, widow of a locksmith named Bulk. They were accused of poisoning between 1886 and 1895, no fewer than seven persons, including their father and mother, the male prisoner's wife, the husband of the female prisoner Buck, her son Alfred Buck, and an unmarried woman named Fiebelkorn. But the indictment upon which they were arraigned was limited to a single one of these crimes, the murder of the male prisoner's wife, on March 7, 1895, with premeditation the other charges being investigated collaterally. A motive for the alleged crimes was suggested by the fact that the lives of the deceased persons had been insured for considerable sums. Hermann Springsteen, though latterly keeping a grocery store, was a blacksmith by trade, and had also dabbled in veterinary surgery, in connection with which he acquired some knowledge of poisons. He lived at Konigsberg until 1893, when he removed to Anklam, and thence to Passavalk, his sister Auguste, keeping house for him. At Passavalk in July 1893, he married, and in May of the following year, he came to Prenzlau. His wife died suddenly on March 7th last, after an attack of cramp, to which Springsteen said she was subject. Dr. Butelik, the family doctor, next day gave a certificate to the effect that Mrs. Springsteen had died from spasmodic constriction of the larynx. The body was exhumed a fortnight later by order of the public prosecutor. An examination of the intestines made by Dr. Bischoff, the police chemical expert in Berlin, established the presence of 0.034 grams of strychnine in the stomach and intestines, while perceptible traces of the same poison were found in other viscera. The life of the deceased had been insured by her husband for 3,000 marks. The attention of the authorities was then turned to six other cases of death under suspicious circumstances which had occurred in the prisoner's household between 1886 and 1892. While Springsteen was living at Konigsberg, the brother-in-law's life was insured for 12,000 marks. The bodies of these persons were also exhumed, but though traces of arsenic were found in the intestines of Springsteen's parents, the poison was not present in sufficient quantities to justify the conclusion that it was the cause of death. The bodies were, however, in an advanced state of decomposition. Springsteen was alleged to have been in the habit of making his wife drunk, and the woman frequently complained that after drinking liquor given to her by her husband, and also after eating food prepared by the female prisoner, she suffered from cramps in the throat, such as might be occasioned by the strychnine poisoning. Quantities of strychnine, sulfuric acid, and other poisons were found in Springsteen's house. 
Twenty-five witnesses, including three experts, were cited for the prosecution. Springsteen was a powerfully built, unkempt man of rough exterior, and his sister a common-looking woman, speaking with a strong Berlin lower-class accent. Both maintained a callous demeanor during the proceedings, the woman on several occasions impudently interrupting the presiding judge in the course of his questioning. The prisoners having pleaded not guilty, the president proceeded to interrogate them as to the death of their father. Springsteen, in reply, described life in the paternal household as being wretched in the extreme. He and his father frequently came to blows and had quarrels of the most violent character. His father drank heavily, and prisoner alleged that his sudden death was the result of drink. Interrogated as to his veterinary practice, Springsteen said it was true that he had insured the lives of cattle for large sums, but he repudiated the suggestion that he had poisoned them in order to obtain the insurance money. He admitted that he had recommended to his brother a certain vegetable poison, which he described as sure and effectual, leaving no traces behind. Springsteen denied that he had poisoned the young woman named Felocorn. Public prosecutor Herr Unger here pointed out that shortly after Springsteen Sr.'s death, the woman in question expressed the belief that he had been poisoned. Two days later, she was dead herself. His mother, prisoner said, had died after drinking some very strong coffee. She had to go out and dig potatoes one night, and his sister handed her a cup of coffee before she left the house. Several witnesses testified that on the evening in question, the old woman, while she was working, suddenly screamed out that she had been poisoned, and asked for a drink of milk. Some milk and water was handed her by a neighbor, but she died soon afterwards. Prisoner stated that his mother might possibly have taken arsenic and mistake for salts, an explanation of his being in possession of poisons. Springsteen alleged that he sold quantities of poison for killing foxes. The female prisoner, questioned as to the manner of her husband's death, said his lungs were not strong, and he was also troubled with his heart and stomach. The poison found on him was, she declared, quite harmless. One witness stated that on one occasion, Mrs. Buck remarked to her, There were six deaths in our house this year, my mother, my husband, and my son, two horses and a dog, adding, and the dog had the finest funeral. At the close of the proceedings, the male prisoner was observed to be making signs to the warden, who was taking him back to his cell. The president promptly recalled him and asked what he meant, to which the accused replied in Berlin slang, Off goes my head, and off go I to heaven. Three medical experts deposed that Springsteen's wife had been slowly poisoned through repeated doses of strychnine administered to her, and expressed the opinion that his father and mother, brother-in-law and nephew, had all been similarly poisoned. The jury replied in the affirmative on each count of the indictment, and the sentence of death was pronounced on both prisoners. End of section 64. Read by Greg Giordano, Newport Ritchie, Florida.